I'm sure that all of us at some point in our life have been mistreated or treated unjustly by another person. There might be a young person here this morning who maybe you have some kids at school who have been spreading rumors about you, who have been saying bad things about you to other people that, that were not true. Maybe there's somebody here that at work, you're a co-worker of yours, has uh, said some things purposefully, said some things to your boss that has hurt how you look to your boss, how your boss feels about you and your work. Maybe you were going through a divorce and a spouse said some things about you that weren't true, that, that made your kids see you differently or made your friends or family see you through different uh, eyes. Maybe you had a customer at work. I hear many people say, you know, I'm trying to do my best, best job at work and I have a customer that, that gets mad about something that I had no control over and calls the home office and I get written up over something that I was trying to do the right thing. Many people I've heard, you know what, I lost my parents. And in the middle of that, our family began to turn on each other. And you know what, it, it ended up that it became all about money and, and I didn't really get my share of what mom and dad had left of their inheritance to us kids. All of us, have had things like that in our lives. We live in a messed up world and many times we are mistreated by other people. So the question for us is this morning, if that's reality, how are we supposed to deal with that? As followers of Jesus, how does God want us to respond when other people treat us unjustly? Well, some people believe that Christians should just be doormats. That, that basically we should just kind of not fight back, that we should let people run all over us and not do anything about it. Other people say, no, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to fight back. <clears throat> In fact, it kind of reminds me of the story of uh, <clears throat> the boxer that uh, had announced that he had become a follower of Jesus. And so this uh, smarty pants guy thought that he'd kind of push that a little bit. So he came to the guy's house, knocked on the door. And when the guy opened the door, he gave him a big right hook. And the guy that, that, that hit him said, you know, he started laughing. He says, well, I guess you can't do anything about that because we both know that Jesus says you're supposed to turn the other cheek. Well, the boxer kind of stood up straight and he kind of leaned to one side and he says, well, you better make this one count because I don't have another one. Amen. <laughs> so, is that the way we're supposed to respond? Okay, I'll give you a little bit of slack, but then that's all I can do. I'm fighting back. How, how do we respond when people don't treat us right? Well, that's why we're going to study 1 Peter 2 this morning. And just to remind you, we're in a section that's really dealing with authority in our lives. That's really what's starting over in about chap uh, verse 13 of chapter 2. Peter specifically starts talking about there are leaders that God has placed in our life, and we have to learn how to respond to those leaders. But unfortunately, many times that leadership in our lives is not wanting to follow God, is not very godly. And, and so we have, to, we have to figure out, God, how do I honor you and the authority that you've put in my life? Isn't that a question that we all struggle with? How do I respond to government? How do I respond to my boss? How do I respond to teachers, maybe sometimes in my life, that don't exactly work with me? Well, today, the passage that we're going to look at is going to just basically, in general, talk about, in sort of just kind of pulling those ideas together, how are we as Christians to respond, in general, when someone does not treat us right? We're going to talk about the right response to unjust treatment. And the first few verses in this passage basically show us the model for doing that. The model for responding to injustice in our lives. In verse 21 it says, For you have been called for this purpose. Wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? <laughs> for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. 
While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, verse 21 starts out with two powerful thoughts. It says, first of all, you have been called for this purpose. Now, friends, as I shared earlier in the service, many of us don't have as much experience reading the Bible, and so we're kind of trying to learn how to read God's Word. And I want to help you to mark things as we come to things in God's Word that that this is important. God's trying to say something to us. When you read a verse that says, for you have been called to this purpose, you ought to say, oh, wow, time out. Let me pay attention to this. God's about to show me something important. Apparently, dealing with, with mistreatment by other people is not just something we're to put up with, something we're to learn how to endure. To some extent, dealing with unjust treatment, Jesus says, is part of our calling as his followers. That's pretty heavy to me. How about you? Wow. I wouldn't have thought about it that way unless God told me that. Secondly, the second strong thing that comes out of that is, this is what Jesus did and we're to follow his lead. It says here in these verses, Christ suffered many things for who? For us. For me, even, to make it more personal. And the Bible says he is our example. He's not an example. He is what? The example. He's not a nice model. He's not a nice example. He is the model for us. We are to follow in his footsteps. We're to follow, actually, that can be translated, we're to follow in his tracks. And I kind of like that because it makes it visual for me. He's going somewhere. I see his footprints. That's the direction I'm supposed to be going. Now, that word example that's used here is kind of interesting. I didn't realize it until I was studying this this week. It actually, literally, it really specifically means Jesus is our template to trace. This week at Vacation Bible School, one of the crafts that the kids did, there was a uh, kind of a mold, there was kind of a template of the Statue of Liberty, and they put this foil, you ever seen that metal foil, you can kind of rub over it, and it kind of makes an imprint? That's what the kids did, they took that template, and they put that foil over it, and they rubbed kind of a, a piece of wood over it, and it made an imprint for them to take home to show their parents, okay? That's what's being talked about here, Jesus is the imprint, and we're trying to follow his imprint. Okay, actually, what, what it's specifically talking about is the kids back during this day, they would, as they were learning the alphabet, they would give them the alphabet written out in a template for them to trace over. They would put something over that, and they would write over those things. Have you ever done that with your kids? You say, okay, here's the letters. Write out D-A-D. Drew will do that with me all the time. He says, Dad, how do you spell your name? Write it out here for me. He'll give me a pen and a piece of paper, and I'll write out D-A-D. And what's he do? He goes off to the side, and he goes... Okay, I do that one like this. I do this one like that. That's actually exactly what this is talking about. In fact, I found out this week that apparently uh, teachers in, in English use this sentence for that reason. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dogs. Anybody else ever heard that? I've never heard that before. But apparently the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog contains all the letters in the English language. So you could say to a kid, okay, if you want to learn the ABCs, write this sentence and practice it, and then you can learn all your letters. Okay, so really the picture we get here is Jesus is trying, just like little children trying to learn the basics, the ABCs, Jesus is giving us the template to follow and to trace after. 
And then it says we're to follow in his steps. As soon as I read that this week, I've never noticed that, but I thought immediately about there's a book called In His Steps. A man named Charles Sheldon wrote a book called In His Steps. I'd encourage you to read the book. As some of you may not recognize the book or recognize the name, but you'll recognize what came out of that book is WWJD. What would Jesus do? That's where that phrase comes out of, okay? And the Bible says this is what Jesus would do. These are the steps, if we're following in his steps, as followers of Jesus. And, and to me, the image is very clear because we live in the North Country and it kind of snows every once in a while, right? Okay, so it's not easy to have this idea of there's some tracks in the snow and I'm supposed to follow in his footprints. And by the way, I've said I'm a follower of Jesus, right? So if Jesus is going this way, just like a little child following his dad's, stepping in his dad's boot prints, that's the direction I'm supposed to go. So Jesus is the model. We're to follow his example. So then the question becomes, what is his example? What is the path, the template that Jesus set for us? That's really our focus here. While Jesus was being mistreated, while he was being treated unjustly, and by the way, to say the least, right? He was treated unjustly to the max. What does the Bible say? that Jesus did. Or maybe we should say, what does the Bible say that Jesus did not do? What's it say in verse 22? What's the first thing he did not do? While Jesus was being mistreated, he did not, he did not sin. Okay? Now, as we walk through these verses, I want, you to, I want to kind of bring them down where the rubber meets the road because sometimes we can read verses, we can kind of get verses in our mind and we can just kind of know the verse, know the idea, but not really think about it. I want you to think about it. What it's saying is, while Jesus was in the pressure cooker, while he had... And like I said, to the max, okay? Okay, when we're talking about Jesus had some struggles, we're talking about the weight of the burden that you're feeling right now. He had that upon himself times all of us in this room, times anyone that's ever lived on planet Earth. He was carrying that weight upon himself. And so right now at this moment, yes, I'm under pressure, but wow, to only imagine what Christ was going through. Okay, And in the middle of that, what this is saying is, are you ever tempted when you are under that pressure, are you ever tempted to not do the right thing? Y'all are thinking about it like you're really spiritual or something. I mean, the answer is what? <laughs> yes! I'm not the only sin nature here around here, am I? When you're in the middle of something that's happening, is it not tempting to do something that is not God-honoring? That's really what we're saying here. In the middle of that pressure, Jesus, while he was being mistreated, while he was being treated unjustly, he did not veer from the Father's will and purpose for his life. And what he's saying is, that should be our challenge as well. In the middle of that, not to turn away from God's purpose and plan for us. Secondly, it says that Jesus was not, it says, uh, he, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Now what that means is, uh, that the word deceit, no deceit, basically means purity. It means something that hasn't been tampered with, okay? What it's talking about is Jesus was not manipulative, okay? In the middle of that difficulty, he was not playing psychological games to try to twist the situation around for his benefit. And what do I mean by that? Is it not true? See, now you're already now. You're not going to be all spiritual on me. You're going to be honest, right, when I ask this question. Is it not true that when you're in the middle of being mistreated, 
don't you sometimes have the opportunity to kind of turn the situation around and put some things into motion that if you wanted to, you could cause some pain to the person who's causing you pain? It's tempting, isn't it? Jesus didn't do that. The Bible says next, he didn't lash out. It says, while he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. That means someone is hurting you, you're not going to hurt them back. That means someone is saying bad things about you, you're not going to say bad things about them. Jesus didn't do that. Fourthly, he didn't threaten others. It says, um, he, he uttered, while he was suffering, he uttered no threats. And if anyone could have made threats, it would have been Jesus. In Matthew 26, verses 51 through 54, write that down, you can go back and look at it. The Bible says that when they came to arrest Jesus, when they came to take him, to arrest him, to beat him, read Isaiah chapter 53 if you want to see a picture. Hundreds of years before Christ went through that punishment, God predicted, God knew exactly what was going to happen. It was part of his plan, part of his purpose, because it had to happen for us to be saved from our sins. But God knew that Jesus was going to be beaten, his body marred and disfigured beyond recognition even. Okay? When that was happening, his disciples said, hey, hold up just a second, Jesus. We're going to have a little brawl here, okay? These boys are not taking Jesus off. All right? So they start trying to get a little physical. You know what Jesus says? He says, listen, that's not the way we're going to do things. If I wanted to, I could call down 12 legion of angels. You know what he was saying? Listen to what someone said about that. There were 6,000 men in a Roman legion. Okay, so do the math. 12 of 6,000 is what? Young people, make your teacher proud. 72,000 angels. Now, wait just a minute. Okay, so 72, a football arena full of angels. Did you know that one angel in one night, slew all the firstborn in Egypt. Did you know that when Sennacherib's army, the Assyrian army, came against the, the city of Jerusalem, that, that one angel took care of the powerful Assyrian army in one night? The Lord had command of 72,000 such angels. And this person said, if Jesus wanted to, he could have ushered in Armageddon right then and there. He could have said, it's over, boys. I'm not doing this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to take the punishment. You don't deserve to get the forgiveness. I'm not going through this. It's over right now. And the question that that kind of pulls out of me, and I think of you as well, would I have done that if I could? Maybe to be a little bit more specific, when it's in my power to inflict pain, or to change the situation, or to hurt someone who's hurting me, do I use that? Do I use that authority? Do I use that window of opportunity? Jesus had full ability to say, nope, you're not going to do this to me. In fact, I'm going to turn it around on you. And he did not do that. The last thing, though, in these verses is he entrusted himself to the Father. That's what it says. He didn't sin. He, he wasn't manipulative or deceitful, try to turn things around, try to make it for his benefit. He didn't lash back out at others. He didn't threaten. He didn't say, don't you know, what, you know here's what I'm going to do to you. But it says he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. 
If there is hope for that person who's mistreating you, the best thing you can do is give them to God. If there is not hope for that person who's mistreating you, the best thing you can do is give them to God. With the Lord, that person might turn around. If they don't turn around, with the Lord, they're not going to get away with their wrongdoing. God has the full story. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Listen, friends, nobody is going to get away with anything, okay? Not me, not you, not anybody. The only hope that any of us have is that if we will receive Christ's gift, He paid. Somebody has to pay for sin. The wages of sin is death. Jesus says, I've paid it for you. If we put our trust in Him, we can have our sins paid for. Praise His name. But nobody's going to get away with it. Either Jesus is going to have to pay or we're going to have to pay. Or that person's going to have to pay. It says in Romans 12, verse 17, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, and I like the realism here of the Bible, the Bible God's just saying, listen, I realize that, that you are going to try to act rightly towards somebody. You're going to do the best you can to reach out, to be open to them. But sometimes people are just not going to work with you. You know why God knows that? Because He deals with that all the time. Okay? Reaching out to someone in love, but they reject it. He says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, I can't control that other person's responses, right? I can pray for them, I can do rightly, and hopefully they'll respond to the Lord from my example. But ultimately, as far as it depends on me, be at peace with all men. Do the best you can to live peaceably with everybody. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now actually, I think the Lord, as we look at the balance of His Word, in fact, uh, you can write down Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, where God talks about some more of this, and some of what I'm about to talk about here. Actually, my goal as a follower of Jesus, first of all, is to get to the point where ultimately I'm going to leave this in God's hands, He'll take care of it. But actually, even I want to go another step. I actually hope I can get to the point where I don't want people to get what they deserve. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope someone doesn't receive their full judgment. I'm hoping that they'll turn to Jesus. But, but, but the promise that God makes to you is you don't have to worry about it. Sometimes we struggle when someone's hurt us or when someone's done us wrong. You know, Is anything going to be done about this? Well, the answer is yes. Something is going to be done about that. God's not going to let that go. Either Jesus is going to pay for it or that person ultimately is going to receive their just judgment. Now, as we read those verses, it could begin sounding to you like maybe that Christians are doormats thing is the way God's saying we should go. So I want to clarify what we're not saying here. What we're not saying is that you can never ask for help. We're not saying that when you're being mistreated that you can never ask or look for relief. In fact, I want to make this very clear to you. We're not talking about abusive situations here, okay? We're talking about, you know, normal everyday life situations. But if someone's in an abusive situation, God has put authorities in place so that you can appeal to those authorities. If you have a situation where someone's taking advantage of you or hurting you or harming you or abusing you in those kind of ways, God has put authorities that you can appeal to in place. All right, secondly, it doesn't mean you can never stand up for yourself. Let me give you an example. 
Not too long ago, we had a church family event planned at one of our local schools. And the school gave us permission to use their facility. Then right before the event, someone said, oh, sorry, church and state. Well, we very politely, respectfully said, well, unfortunately, you can't do that. That's against the law. So we would really like to use the facility. Praise the Lord. We were able to use the facility. Now, what if we just said, oh, sorry, didn't mean to bother anybody. Didn't mean to disturb anybody. Please forgive us. Okay? If you don't lose your, if you don't use your freedoms, eventually you'll lose those freedoms. Okay? So there's, there's some extent of that. Okay? Certainly it doesn't mean to, to allow a situation to go on, especially when other people are involved. Now, I brought this up a couple times in First Peter. I think it's important for us to realize when you have something in your life that's personally happening, you and the Lord, you have discretion where you can pray about God. Would you help me to know how much I'm able to deal with, how much I'm able to endure or put up with personally? But when you are responsible for someone else, you don't have that much discretion. Okay? And what I mean by that, if somebody does something against me, I might can say, okay, I'm going to allow that or I'm going to put up with that or, or you know, I'm going to just kind of overlook that. But when somebody does something to my kids, we're not praying about it, right? <laughs> okay. When somebody, when somebody does something to you guys, when I'm responsible for spiritually guiding a group of people, you know, when you're responsible, especially when you're responsible for innocent people, for people who need defending, you need to make sure that you defend the helpless. But I do believe the Lord would give us this direction. Write these things down. These are what I believe God wants us to draw out, some of the things out of these verses. First of all, I want you to put a star, maybe two stars beside this one, two on the left and two on the right, okay? Because this is a big one. My happiness, my comfort, my recognition, my advancement is not nearly as important as I tend to focus on it, okay? I believe God wants to say to us, in general, in life, we don't like to be discomfort, uncomfortable, right? We don't. We we want to think about ourselves and what something meaning, what 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 something means, the implications that it, that it has for us. If there's one thing that comes out of these verses, one of those things is this: God wants us, in some way, to think of ourselves like Christ, as sacrificially giving our life in service to others. Again, I'm not talking about abusive situation. I'm just saying that we ought to think about serving others more than we typically do. I believe that's coming out of these verses. Secondly, sometimes I need to realize I've done all I can do for now. I need to, I'm not going to fight this person anymore. I'm going to leave it to God. And that brings up the third thing. God is ultimately my defender. God has the final say. He's going to take care of me, and he's going to take care of that person. He's either going to draw them to himself or they're going to receive their just punishment. And the fourth thing is this. God, we need to realize that God uses, God works through humility. We have, kind of in our bones as human beings, fighting for ourselves, fighting for my way, fighting for our rights. And as Americans, we have that even more. Okay? The problem is, it's not that it's wrong to exercise privileges, that it's wrong to exercise freedoms, but the problem is we tend to think about, we tend to lean more towards I'll take care of things rather than what? Trusting God to take care of things. Let me give you a couple of examples. 
that whole family fighting over an inheritance thing. Now friends, in terms of specific application, I'm going to share some examples with you today. You've got to pray about how God wants you to apply these principles we're learning from His Word. I'm just giving you some ideas, some things to think through. I don't know for sure because I haven't ever been in that situation. But I've thought about this a lot because I've seen many families kind of go through this. A parent or a couple of parents pass away and they leave some money or they leave some possessions or whatever and then there gets to be all this stuff going on, all this noise, all this bickering. You know, I just kind of feel like, you know what, if that ever happens in our family, I don't know for sure, I don't know exactly how I would handle it, but I think I might, I've got one sister, I've got one brother, I think I might just say, y'all can have it. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, really. And, and not in a self-righteous, you know, kind of, but truly just, it's not that big a deal to me. Now, I, I can't say for sure. And, and again, I don't know about your city. I'm just saying, we ought to think about some of those things. Is it really worth that? Do I need a bunch of money? And if God wants me to have a bunch of money, can't he get it to me some other way? In fact, let me share another example for you in my own life. Uh, many of you know that a couple of years ago, somebody ran into the side of our van and it took us about six months working with the other person's insurance. Y'all know how it is. The first thing after an accident, the first thing I say is, is everybody okay? The second thing is, oh my goodness, I got to deal with the insurance company. All right, so for six months, I'm dealing with an insurance company. And no offense, my dad's an insurance salesman, okay? I know everybody that's in insurance is not crooked, but you know what? Sometimes it's tough dealing with insurance companies. I call this insurance company for six months, I worked on this. I was talking to this, talking to that person. I knew what was fair. I had done the research. I had talked to many people. I knew this is fair for me. This is fair to them. I'm not trying to take advantage of them, but I don't want them to take advantage of us. We just need to get what's right. One day I was taking a lunch break, and I drove down Matterbrook here, and I pulled off on the bike trail, the entrance to the bike trail there. And while I was eating my lunch, the insurance guy called and says, Okay, Mr. Langford. This is our final offer. I started to bow up like I usually would. I mean, I'm pretty stubborn. I mean, I I don't give in very easily. You know what? I said, all right, I'm done. It's over. You won. (laughs) You beat me. Okay? I know you've been working hard to wear me down. You got me. I'm wore out. I got other things to do in life besides chasing you down. You know what? If that's what you're going to pay, then send me a check. But hey, before we hang up, I need you to know something. I want you to know I'm not depending on you or your company to provide for me and my family. God knows what it's going to take to fix this van. God knows what is right, and I've done my best to figure that out. I know it's right. You know it's right. And if your company wants to do this, then that's shame on you. You're going to have to answer to him. But God will take care of me and my family. That guy, he said, okay, thanks for sharing that, Mr. Langford. So we're going to send you a check for, and he said the amount that I wanted. <laughs> I said, thank you, Lord. And I said, okay, thanks. Have a nice day, Click. <laughs> now, guys, I think that might be an example in my own life. Hey, you know what? Sometimes it's time to work hard. It's time to do some work. It's time to, you know, do what's right and try to work with somebody. But sometimes, you know what? It's out of my hands. I mean, this is just a fruitless effort. It's actually costing me more to have to chase this down. God, you take care of it. You know what? God blesses humility. God blesses trust. Jesus is the model. 
for dealing with injustice. But secondly, I want us to look at the impact of what Jesus did. He says in verses uh, 24 through 25, actually it starts out in verse 24. It's not very encouraging at first. We're saying Jesus is our example and we're talking about the impact. Well, the initial impact was the cross. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. But I want us to look at what Jesus' approach did for us. Then it says in verse, the rest of verse 24, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What are the results? What impact was made? Because Jesus, listen, don't miss this throughout all that we're going to look at in these next few verses. All of this was made possible because Jesus was willing to put up with a lot that he shouldn't have had to put up with. Amen? First of all, it says we have the opportunity to be dead to sin. We have the opportunity to die to sin. Listen, what does that mean? We have the chance, we have the opportunity set before us to live life without being controlled by sin, without being afraid of the destructive power of sin. Friends, listen, does that mean a little something to you this morning? Has your life been changed by the power of Jesus Christ? Have you experienced, now listen, i got a long ways to go, but I shared earlier about 26 years ago I accepted Christ. My life is dramatically different 26 years later because Jesus was willing to die on that cross. Amen? I am still struggling with sin, but sin doesn't have near the power over my life that it used to, and it's all because Jesus was willing to put up with all that. Amen? So partially, powerfully in this life, and then praise God one day, I'm going to cross over into eternity with Him forever in a place called heaven, and I will no longer ever be touched or tainted or affected by sin. Wow. That was made possible because Jesus was willing to go pretty far from me and you. Secondly, because of what he did, we have the opportunity, it says, to live to righteousness. We have the opportunity to live life rightly, the way God intended. Because Jesus was willing to put up with all that, you have the opportunity to experience real life. Life the way God created you to experience it. Can I challenge you to think about something today? One thing I've learned in ministry it's challenging dealing with people. Okay, we all know that. That's what we're talking about today. It's challenging dealing with people. And one thing you have to do when you're working with people, if you have their best interest in mind, you have to realize, you know what? I'm going to do what I'm doing in this person's life, even though for now they misunderstand me. And maybe even sometimes, as we talked about, people mistreat you, but you're looking ahead for whose benefit? For their benefit. One day... If I am God's servant in their life, they're going to have an opportunity to experience true life. Listen, let me just bring it down to just a very normal level here. Vacation Bible school is hard. Amen, anybody? It's a lot of work. Was nobody here in vacation Bible school? Okay. It's a lot of work. It was hot. You have problems. You have kids all over the place. And this class is too big. And we don't have enough room here. And we ran out of Kool-Aid. And, it, and a storm comes up. Or, there's all kinds of problems. And sometimes I'm sure that all of us say, I don't know if we want to do vacation Bible school again. But you know what? When I hear that 13 precious little lives gave their life to Jesus, that keeps me going next year when VBS gets hard. Do you see what I'm saying? 
when things get hard, when you can realize that what you're doing, even sometimes what you are, the, 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 the mistreatment that you're experiencing, if you can look ahead for that person and say, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but it's possible that through me being willing to put up with a little bit more that I don't deserve, that they're going to experience the life you intended for them. Thirdly, we can experience healing. Jesus literally took the hits for us. The hurts that we face, the Bible says, by His stripes, by His wounds, we were healed. Anybody here been, been experiencing healing? I shared with you a great blessing I received a couple of weeks ago when I went for my grandmother's funeral. I did not expect this. I expected to be able to have a wonderful opportunity to share with my family and some of their friends and extended family of the gospel, and I had that great opportunity. But the night before that, I got off the airplane, I went to my grandparents' house, and I saw people talking and laughing and enjoying relationship together that had not talked for 20 years. I believe that's all because of the power of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was willing to take those wounds for us, I am experiencing healing in my family. How about you? It's not near what I want it to be, but it's a lot farther than it would be. Amen? If the Lord hadn't have done, hadn't have done what He did. Fourthly, we can be reunited with the Lord. The Bible says we were like sheep. Is this not true? Continually going astray. Isn't that my life? Isn't that your story? I was getting farther and farther away from God. My life was getting more and more vulnerable and in danger. But now, because He did, that's what we're bringing it all back to, all of this result, all of this impact is coming because Jesus was willing to do that for us. Because He did, now I have returned. How about you? That word actually can be used for repentance, okay? He's saying we've turned. We have been converted. Our lives have changed direction. Has your life changed direction? It's because of Jesus and what He did on the cross. And who have we returned to? It says we've returned to the shepherd. Actually, that word can be translated pastor. I've never noticed that before. You know what? I am not your pastor. I am an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. He's your pastor. I've never thought about it that way. Jesus is our pastor. Isn't that cool? He's our shepherd. He's the one guiding and guarding and protecting our souls. And then that next word is very close to that. He's the guardian of our soul. Actually, that's better translated. He's the overseer. He's actually, it can be translated bishop is the way it's translated many times in English. But literally, it's he's the overseer. He is someone carefully watching over your soul. So you were out vulnerable, in danger of attack by the enemy, and really separated from God and ultimately going to an eternal separation from God forever. But now, because of what? Because Jesus was willing to endure a lot of what He shouldn't have had to. But now you have returned. You've changed direction and you're back with the pastor and overseer of your soul. You know, I think there's two really big things that come out of that. First of all, we ought to just be in awe of Jesus. Guys, there are many of us in this room who all of our life have been looking for somebody to love us. You know what I want to say to you? I, I hope that you find that one day. I hope that you find that relationship with someone of the opposite sex that you can enjoy life with and you can be married to and all those kind of things that you're, that you're desiring. But you know what? Really, ultimately, that longing is for God. And can I just say something to you? If you feel like you've never been loved, that is from the enemy. You have been loved with an everlasting love. 
God Almighty, your creator, has a purpose and a plan for you. And he has set his love on you so much, he would be willing to pay the worst of all possible prices so that you would have the opportunity to be reunited with him. Wow. You ought to feel really special. I am eternally loved by God. Amazing, isn't it? Have you ever accepted that gift? Have you ever surrendered your life to that wonderful Savior? Why not this week 13 young children gave their life to Jesus? Why couldn't you adult? Why not another child? Maybe a child that's in this room that didn't make that decision this week, but you need to make that decision. Second thing that comes out of this for me, if we are saved, we should seek to follow His example. I'm so glad that nobody else needs to be crucified. Jesus has already done that. But here's really the main takeaway. I want you to write this down. Here's what we're really talking about. We should be willing to put up with more, not less, from other people. Did you hear that? We should be willing, as followers of Jesus, to put up with more, not less. And if we would live like that and trust God... He could do more for us and He could do more through us in the lives of others. I could not have gotten that insurance settlement on my own. And in about half a second, God did it for me. How much can God do for you if you would just trust Him? How do we deal with injustice? There are times where we We work hard, we try to present a case, we try to go through the proper channels, we try to do all the things we know to do, but then there's times when we say, Lord, I've done all I can do, I give this situation to you, you know what's right, I can't do anything about it, God, will you be my defender? And Lord, while I'm waiting on you to do that for me, will you help me to not respond towards them like they've been acting towards me? And God, even if it's possible, would you help me? As Luke 6 and as Matthew, I think it's chapter 5 says, would you help me to not only deal with that person, but would you help me to, God, I don't know how, you're going to have to help me with this one. Would you actually help me to love my enemies and pray for them? Wow, that's a whole other message. (laughs) That's even going even further. Today we're just talking about being able to bear it and endure it and put up with it a little bit longer. So I just want to put that out there for you. That kind of leans towards that. I don't want them to really get what they deserve. Amen? Amen. That's really where Jesus is headed with this. Do you trust the Lord like that? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. You know, I, I actually I struggle with this message this week. I struggle with First Peter because I don't want to talk about hard things and come across like, oh yeah, this is easy. In fact, I woke up this morning, I started thinking about what I said last night. I'm like, that's hard. I can't live like that. Amen? But it's His Word, isn't it? God, you're going to have to help each one of us take the things you're teaching us and apply them to our own lives. You're going to have to pray and ask God, Lord, what does this mean for me? I can't give you exactly how you should respond. I can't tell you that if your family went through a situation like I described earlier, that's exactly what you are. I'm just just trying to give you some things to think about in real life, but let's take the things that God's teaching us and say, God, I don't know how to do this, but I want to. Would you say that to him? I want to. I'm open, God. I'm listening. 
And if you are here and you've never trusted in Jesus, that's the biggest thing the Lord wants you to come away. He bore in His own body on that cross your sins. Does that mean something to you this morning? Would you be willing to put your trust in Jesus Christ? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me for just a moment? One of the things I ask myself as God speaks to me in my quiet time or as I'm listening to a message, so what? What does this mean? What difference does it make, God, in my life? God, are you trying to speak to me? Is there a situation that I need to deal with? You probably know what it is, don't you? Somebody's hurting you. Somebody's saying some things wrongly about you, misrepresenting you. God, I don't know what to do with that. But I want to act like you would. Would you show me this morning? The Bible says, call to me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Would you trust the Lord even to show you the way to go this morning? If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would it just blow you away that the God of the universe would come to this earth and live a life just like you? He was just as much, he was fully God and fully man. And he experienced every bit of that pain on the cross for you. Would you say, God, if you would do that for me, I will trust you. I will give my life to you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me and be my Savior and help me to walk with you the rest of my life. Lord, in these next few moments, just speak to our hearts about whatever it is you're trying to show us. and Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to stand together with me. Pastor Jeff's going to sing a song or lead us in a song. I remember hearing this song at a youth camp years ago. And I remember just saying, you know what, God, that's the desire of my heart. I want to learn your ways. I want to walk with you. If you'll just show me step by step. Is that your heart this morning? Is God teaching you how to be a follower of Jesus? And are you listening and responding to that right now? It's a great opportunity to do that.